Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Far Out Wisdom mini series called Free Flow Mindsex. Orgies of ideas multiplying into compressed information based on individualistic experiences giving birth to wisdom that is contagious and dangerous. Fueled by what Jason Silva calls philosophical expressos. I invite guests onto the show to show that not only are we capable of being gods, but also teachers. My second guest is Rob Teal. His favorite thing to eat is boiled shrimp. His favorite gun is the SIG P229 Legion 9mm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Not a gun person. And his favorite book is Tales from Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. We talked about his relationship with Christ, his experience with love, and how a sense of community is very important in a time of crisis. In the end of the show, he shares his wisdom from his time on this planet. Enjoy! Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Far Out Wisdom podcast mini-series called Free Flow Mindsex. I'm with my buddy, my friend, who I call Rich Fuck the other day, Rob Teal. <laughs> yeah, I wish. If anybody, if anybody, anybody, my listeners who's listening to this right now, um, I have been fascinated with Rob the moment that I met him. We met each other in a Dr. Peterson group. Um and I'm just so fascinated with his uh, intellect and his ability to think quickly on his feet. Um, and the reason why I call him a rich fuck is because he works in a very, very uh, interesting um, industry, which he will be talking about. So, Rob, who are you? And could you tell a little bit about yourself to the audience listening? Sure. Um, I'm Rob Teal. I'm 31. I'm a resident of the greatest state in the union. Uh, Louisiana, home of your 2019 national college football champions, the LSU Fighting Tigers. Currently have a Joe Burrow poster on my wall. If we were doing it on video chat, you could see it. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, am married, no kids yet, but we're going to start trying in August, provided that we all live through the coronavirus and make it that far. <laughs> and um, I have a college degree, but I'm still a what we call down here a kunas, which means I am a uh, Cajun. So, uh, yes, I eat crawfish. Yes, I eat crabs and shrimp and I hunt and fish and all that good stuff. No, I do not have alligators in my backyard. That's only when it rains very heavy and the pond overflows and they make their way up there. But past that, uh, that's it. I'm just a normal dude that is looking for intellectual stimulation and most of the internet severely lacks that these days. <laughs> and that's pretty much why you're on this podcast. So we can do that with each other, but could you tell, um, well, I don't know who, what it is, uh, I think, but what is what Cajun? What is that? So Cajun is, um, a group of people that lived in Nova Scotia. Um, they were, they had left France, came to Canada way in the early 1700s. And during the, what's known in Europe as the Seven Years' War, but what's known here as the French and Indian War, when Britain acquired um, Canada, they basically told the Cajuns, the Acadians at the time, 
that they had to swear allegiance to Britain and give up Catholicism and stop speaking French. The Acadians said, screw that, we're not going to do it. The British forced them to uh, migrate all along the eastern seaboard. At the time, uh, Louisiana was controlled by France and then Spain, so they were both uh, friendly Catholic countries. So most of them, by word of mouth, got in touch with each other and said, hey, we're all going to go to Louisiana. It's a malaria-filled swampland. Uh, so that sounds like a great place to go, us being from Canada. So they moved down here. Most of them came in through New Orleans and in, ended up moving west from New Orleans because New Orleans at the time was Creole, and it still is mostly Creole, which is a mix of French, Spanish, Native American, and uh, slaves from the Caribbean Isles. Um, so it's kind mm -hmm. of a different culture in itself in New Orleans. Still some good food. I love Creole gumbo. But yep. they moved west to where I currently live in Lafayette, Louisiana, right in the center of the state. And um, they, we still speak French. It's not really a, um, it's not Parisian French. If I went to Paris, nobody would understand me. But uh, right. it's kind of an organic local language around here that is kept alive through families and oral tradition. Yeah, everything's like the, the culture is really different. So if anybody don't know this, um, he's you said Lafayette? Yep. So um, this is why Rob Teal and I, we are like synchronized and we're meant to be awesome together because I live on a street called Lafayette. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why that's why I'm, I'm like, there's a connection and we have to have that connection. He has to be on my show. This was spontaneous, mind you. And it was Rob who pretty much wanted to be on the show um and um i'm gonna capture it and he's gonna be uh him and his wife are gonna be i invite them on uh drunk philosophy and i can't wait for that to hear them uh go at it with each other about <laughs> philosophy and it's gonna be really interesting so but what is the um so you said kajan so is it kajan or kajan did i say it right okay it got so what is from acadian to cajun oh okay so like the, what, what was the main um, religion that was that's in your area, particular area? Like, what it's the um, the culture that you that you, if you can break it down and I summarize would, it, I would say it's eighty percent Catholic and about fifteen percent Protestant Christianity, and then another five percent unknown. It's very heavily Catholic. That's why. Um, so the rest of the country has counties, which are their you know large municipality areas. We have parishes because originally Louisiana was divided by the Catholic church. So oh. it's all parishes in Louisiana. Our culture for the most part is based around historically it was uh, agriculture like sugarcane, rice, indigo. And then um, in the thirties through the fifties, oil and gas really blew up. So I'd say the majority of people who live down here work in the oil and gas industry in one way or another. If they're not working there, they're still doing commercial sugarcane, rice, uh, beef cattle, fishing. Those are the main drivers. But the culture is very, um, it's very tight knit. It's a very small, um, I think there's about 250,000 true Cajuns that can trace their themselves back to the original settlers. Um, right. A lot of Native American got mixed in with that, uh, but it's very much, uh, I mean, the, the saying is laissez-le-bon-temps roulette, which means let the good times roll. So mm -hmm. whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a coronavirus, we're all 
always cooking, drinking, partying, playing music. Well, we're not doing that right now because all the concerts <laughs> are canceled. But um, Lafayette yeah. itself is a very, the food is just, you'll never have anything like it anywhere outside of this place. It's uh, just stick to your bones kind of food. Fried fish, everything's fried or cooked in a gravy or slow roasted. Yesterday, mm. me and my wife bought 60 pounds of boiled crawfish and mm. boiled it in the backyard and packaged the rest up for etouffee later in the year because right now crawfish prices are actually $1.50 a pound, which is unheard of because it's lit mm. right now and it's not. It's supposed to be like $3 a pound. Um, so, I mean, yeah, our culture by and large is just work hard during the week, party hard on the weekends. And this is why I never could catch him on the weekends because he's like drunk majority of the time. So yeah, that is accurate. <laughs> he's he's drinking right now too. So yes, uh, and I would his- like to make a plug for it. Um, currently, I am drinking Ranger Creek Thirty Six Texas Bourbon Whiskey. It's a very mm. good local whiskey made outside of San Antonio. Um, mm-hmm. So if y'all can ever go to a grocery store or liquor store again in California, be sure to pick it up. <laughs> He's all in California, but I, I, it's just like, um, so here in California, if you compare the culture where Rob lives and where I live, um, we're pretty much uh, lean a little far left here in California. And, and there are pretty much, well, to me, you're like pretty chill. You're like right in the center politically, right? Uh, center ish. So, social issues, I'm libertarian on, uh, fiscal issues, I'm conservative on cultural issues which are kind of right i I guess it's objective right right and so for us you know outside like in california everybody around me is considered ultra right right wing because everybody wants to own their guns they want lower taxes i'd say the like attitude towards lgbt like i have a bunch of gay friends a couple of gay neighbors nobody really cares about it just don't shove it in my face um, yeah, and so it's gotten it's eased up a lot since then. But when it comes to Bernie Sanders, um, it would be safe to say nobody is a fan down here. <laughs> I can I can hear you guys. You can shove the pee pee in your butt. Don't shove it in my butt. Exactly. <laughs> Y'all want to go down on that sinking ship? Just count us out. And so. So if if you guys listen, uh, Rob's culture is a lot different than than mine here in um, in California, and this is where it's kind of like an issue here in the states um, where everybody's d- divided because they don't think about people like Rob who has family who worked in the oil and business industry who need their guns, and they do it because that's their culture. They like to hunt, so it's just I, I really don't like the the whole policy where everybody. Um, especially like in the urban cities like mine who think they can dictate people who are like Rob who lives in Lafayette um, in Louisiana they live out they need their guns to protect themselves they this they they hunt they um um I think in the past Rob shows picture of him you know cooking a lot of meat and they're that they love their meat and hey there's nothing we could here in California can do about it you know and that's it's yep. just like I just wish people just be more respectful of like cultures. Pe- people who talk about why do you need a thirty round magazine for your AR fifteen? If you've ever been in the swamp or a cane field <laughs> at night and heard about a hundred wild pigs gathering up coming after you, that's why you need a thirty round magazine, and you probably need more got- than one. What? Why is there so many um, 
wall picks is is do you guys have like an, an issue over there like oh, is yeah. it normal it's, it's almost three billion dollars a year to the agricultural industry in louisiana in Damn. damage that these wild pigs cause and i mean it's just you know it's feral pigs feral wild hogs that mixed with domesticated pigs and they procreate like crazy and there's mm. no way you can really put a dent in their population the most we can hope to do at this point is control them but so they tear up sugarcane field like a pack of 50 will tear up almost 200 acres of sugarcane field in one night and then they get on the levees which as if we don't have enough problems already they get on the levees start rooting around tearing the levees up it compromises the integrities of the levee and we have to go back and fix it otherwise there's a weak spot in the levee but the good news is they are delicious. So we love <laughs> hunting them, killing them, turning them into sausage, baby back rib, like anything you can do with a pig. Actually, our favorite thing to do in fall during football season is a cochon delay, which is basically a suckling pig, you know, about 30 or 40 pounds that you kill and you make what's called a coon ass microwave, um, right. dig a hole in the ground. It's kind of like a luau in Polynesia, actually. Dig a <laughs> hole in the ground throw the pig in there, put the coals on top of it and let it cook from the top down. And that is just, that is amazing pig right there. Yeah. It's just, um, I remember I, uh, I don't know if it was you, but you share something on your Facebook. No, not, not you. It was somebody, it was, it was on my newsfeed. And there, there, there was this guy who wrote his helicopter and he just took a shotgun and just shot all those pigs. And in the comics section, somebody got really offended. That's animal cruelty. I go, dude, they're, they're destroying fucking property. Yeah. You know, I go, what they do with those pigs is they take them and bring them to the homeless shelters. They go through oh, FDA yeah. inspection in, in Texas, or I think it's Texas A&M runs their agricultural group. And they're actually studying the whole problem because they're bad in Texas too. And uh, they'll take all those pigs, bring them to homeless shelters, battered women's shelters, so they have a protein source. So you have fun killing them, and you provide a service on the other end. Exactly. And I I had, uh, I think, a hog before, and it was was delicious. It was not that bad. And I... It's just we're doing a service. And um, why did you guys have, like... It's it's because of they... And here in California, we have hogs, but not as bad. And the reason why we have a, a problem is because this rich guy brought them here um and so it became kind of it's, it's not our problem that we have here it's just tweakers that's pretty much our problem but i'm that no hogs <laughs> well i mean it's a problem for us because everything we have is so rich like the soil is so rich everything grows everywhere and you know it's probably something we never noticed until they started tearing up the cane fields and the deer properties that everybody goes and hunts on and I mean, they'll kill deer. They will kill and eat young deer. And right. another problem was that alligators back in the 70s and 80s were almost hunted to extinction in New or- in, in Louisiana. And uh, a lot of people think that that's what was actually keeping the pig population under control. So then there was this 20-year gap where there weren't as many alligators keeping the population under control. So the pigs exploded. And now we're on the wow. back end of that trying to trying to take care of it. Yeah, and it's just, um, you know, I did not know that, and it's because I'm fucking retarded or something, or, or it's because my, the, the California public education system failed me, but I did not know that hogs are just pigs that are wild. Yep. I thought there was a different breed. 
you know? No, a lot of them are hybrids now. They're they, the, the wild boars cross. The wild boars are the aggressive ones, but they crossbreeded oh. with the domesticated pigs, which are much bigger, but more docile. So now you have a much bigger, more aggressive wild feral pig. And they will attack you, right? They will like. Oh yeah. Uh, go in- there was a lady um, about three weeks ago, uh, just across the border in Texas, 80 year old lady got killed going to her car <gasps> by wild pigs damn and it's not a pretty sight either i mean they they, they, gore, they gore you and rip out your insides and eat you and that's that's their uh their i did not know they i did not know that to eat meat holy shit they will eat anything that they can find that's easy to get to yeah that just it just you know we we don't and this is why you know going back to what we we're talking about earlier about the the left where they want to ban guns no this is why these people need guns is because they live around the hogs they live around alligators they live around snakes and shit yeah i go you don't even know i mean like i say us we deal with tweakers all right that they're, they're a different kind of hogs all right <laughs> so- I, I am way more terrified of a, pig, a wild pig than i am an alligator and that yeah that seems counterintuitive but i've stepped over an alligator on accident i didn't know it was there and all it did was swim away i've been walking through the, the swamp trying to uh, check some crawfish traps and had a wild pig charge me wow and they're not scared they're no. just they just they just just go so <clears throat> but going back to like your family history um what about your your family how how were you raised like well, so I'm I am a true like mutt of all every walk of life pretty much. <laughs> what? Um so my on my mom's side, my my grandparents parents were originally from Raceland, Louisiana, which is about an hour and a half east of where I'm at, still right. in Cajun country, and um they ended up moving to Mississippi. My grandpa my great grandpa is half blood Cherokee Indian, so there's some of that mixed in. Uh, right. But my grandpa is really kind of the, he is, the dude's a multimillionaire, but you never know it because right. he makes money just because it's a challenge to him. Uh, the patent on aerobic septic systems where you have the septic system and you have a, a sprinkler system that basically sprays all the clean water out. Right. That's his patent. So no way. Yeah. He what? Came up um, but that was just a that was just a challenge for him. But he grew up the son of a postman in Poplarville, Mississippi, which is a bump on a gnat's ass. You would never ever see it unless you were looking for it. And uh, he ended up graduating from high school two years early. Went to Pearl River Community College for two years. Graduated with his associates two years early. Went to LSU, majored in chemistry, and after that he became. Um, the chief chemist for PPG for, for, I don't know, 40 years. And I mean, and then after he retired, he really started tinkering and he's got like eight different patents on different things right now. Um, and mama was the supportive housewife raised my mom and my two aunts. And then everybody, everybody got married. My mom met my dad. Now my dad's family was royally fucked up. Can I say fuck on this? You can say whatever you want, dude. <laughs> okay. Yeah, royally fucked up. Um, my my grandpa was a Coast Guardsman in World War II. He drove Higgins boats into Okinawa. He was later dishonorably discharged for striking a superior officer. My step-grandfather oh. that I grew up knowing as my grandpa 
was a Marine in the 5th Marine Division that landed on Okinawa. And if you trace it back, there's a good chance my step-grandpa and my grandpa were both on the same boat. My grandmother was a Rosie the Riveter. She flew, she had eight wartime marriages. And then she ended up fixing, repairing, and flying planes from uh, somewhere in Oklahoma back to England and then ferrying damaged planes back. So they both had some major alcohol issues after the end of the war. And, you know, time went on. Dad dad was born in Chickasha, Oklahoma. He is not mm-hmm. at all coon-ass. He won't even touch crawfish. I got all <laughs> that from my mom's side. Um, yeah. But they settled in Sulphur, Louisiana, which is on the western, southwest side of the state, where my grand- both grandparents ended up working in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. And, um, so that's how I came to be. My mom and dad have been married for, God, almost 30 years at this point. They are each other's best friends. They, I mean, I was really blessed growing up that my parents were together, even in my church group. Like I was one of maybe out of 20, I think there's four marriages left of, you know, my friends that I grew up going to church with. And, uh, Mom's a CNO at a major hospital in Baton Rouge, which mm-hmm. she's, you know, running ragged right now, trying to prepare for the onslaught that they know is coming. And Dad right. w- was an assistant principal at a uh, in the school system. He was a history teacher before that, and that's where I really got my quick thinking and my debate ability and my my knowledge of history was from him going to battlefields with him, reading books with him, watching movies with him. And uh, now that he retired from the school system, he's a greenskeeper on a golf course. So he's yeah. a good life. Yep. Yep. That, that sounds, and, and it, it's, um, it's, if you guys ever fight with him online, <laughs> he's, you know what, you know, Rob doesn't, um, He's really sweet in the process, and he provides evidence of the process, and it shows that he was educated and grew up in a a uh, well um, adjusted home. Um, but you you said that you went to didn't you didn't you serve in the army, or was I wrong? No, I, I was in the army after after I spent three year, or two years wasting my parents' money in college. I, I dropped out. Uh, joined the army, served for about a year and a half. I broke both my knees and dislocated both my shoulders in a training accident. So I was separated. I never served in combat or anything like that. But um, yeah, I spent spent a little over a year in there and um, learned a lot. But it was right in the middle of, that was 2010, 2011. A lot of the military was being cut back due to some policies that were created at the time. And, uh, you know, so I, I got to meet a lot of cool people, do a lot of cool things, but it just wasn't going to work out. So I left to get married and that did not end well either. Mm. But uh, so yeah, I left and see, that's a funny thing. I never dated in high school. I yeah. didn't date in college. I, mm-hmm. I, I got married. That was actually the first woman I ever slept with. Mm-hmm. Like I did it right. I did it the Christian way, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And she ended up being completely psychotic. But, you know, maybe she'll get better. I have no idea. But then got divorced. Um, The same time I got divorced, I got laid off. That was in the downturn in the oil industry from 2013 to about 2016. So 2017, I got laid off. 
um, was mm-hmm. living with my mom, going to school, trying to finish my degree at Liberty University online. And I met yeah. my current wife, Lauren. She's the most badass chick I've ever met ever. And uh, mm-hmm. she can actually shoot and hunt and fish better than I can, which yeah. is something good to have in a significant other when the end of the world is coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that that we can do a whole chapter on. We'll do that on the uh, on the, the drunken <laughs> Drunk philosophy. <laughs> that whole story is hilarious. I'm gonna have both. Like I said earlier, I'm gonna have both of them, and 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 it's gonna be both of them talking, but their accent is gonna be fucking hilarious, and I can't wait for that. I, w- so. I will give a teaser. That was a Tinder hookup. It was a one night <laughs> stand that never ended. So it ought to be interesting. And she's absolutely gorgeous. She is. Um, uh, I, I know Rob, he's, he's, he and I had conversations before and he's willing to share with me only. All right. <laughs> that is accurate. That is accurate. It's almost so, your brain. So this is why we're, we're friends because we, we're very uh, open sexually, if that makes sense. We understand about. Very true. Very, yeah, we understand that. Even though he is Christian. He's not sleeping around or anything like that. He's much different different than than I am. Um, but we we understand that sexual urge part in a relationship. And um, Rob and I are very open with our friendship. If we have issues like, "Hey, man, am I giving my man a blowjob incorrectly?" And so he will kind of he will answer that for me. He will he will answer that for me. He'll be like, "You know, you got to do it this way, man." And this yes. is why we're Let's we're see. good friends. And Let's so more mouth. <laughs> Less teeth, more mouth, more spit, more spitting, more spitting, more slapping, more slapping. Exactly. <laughs> and so, and this is why you know it, it, with friendship, and this is why I'm so fascinated with with him, and I I had to get him on my podcast. And so, and as you can see, his family history is very interesting, and he can go on and on, and let alone he can cook as well. So he can he can explain the process. He did that to me one day, and I didn't I didn't even get it at all. I'm like, what? do what can you just fucking hit that shit on fucking broil and shit on high can i do that (laughs) and you gotta stir and you gotta cut up with your friends that's how it works and so but um you know to 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 get a little deeper and 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 if you're if you're not gonna get uncomfortable but you, you talk about your first wife like why did that fail did you have a theory as to you know Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I moved. I think when you're in your late 20s to early 30s, and, and you would know about this, time and your experience increase exponentially. Like you learn a lot between 25 and 30. If you're paying attention enough to to absorb the lesson, um, I didn't date or anything in high school mm-hmm. because I was the nice guy. Like, I was the guy that all the girls would come complain that their asshole boyfriends were doing this, that, and the other to them. And I'd be like, well, I'd like to go out on a date. Give me a chance. Like, no, you're just a friend. Like, I was friends, friend zone the entire time. And then when I met my ex-wife, it was, uh, you know, she had a kid from a previous relationship. She was very attractive. Uh, And I was like, okay, you know, this is adulthood. I'm supposed to marry her and help help her raise this kid this is the most sacrificial thing i could do what i didn't realize was under all that makeup there can be a lot of evil and a lot of unresolved issues that neither of us were prepared to deal with me like not having slept with anybody like i've slept with two women in my life my ex-wife and my current wife that's it right and it's not because i'm not 
like a horny guy. I am, you know, I'm a typical mm-hmm. male. I just have a very high standard. I'm not right. going to go stick my dick into something that later I wouldn't be proud of. Right. Unlike a lot of men. I know. So when it came down to it, it was just, I was too young, not too young. I was not emotionally scarred enough to deal with her level of emotional scarring because she had been through a bunch of stuff too. her, like a lot of family issues and this kind of thing. And I just, and she, you know, it didn't help that anytime there was a fight or a disagreement, which always happens in a marriage. I don't care who you are. Nobody has a marriage. It's perfect. She would go sleep with someone else and I would take her back because I was like, okay, I have very low self-esteem. This is the best I'm ever going to get. Right. Is this right here? I just have to deal with it. Try to forgive her. So after the fifth time that she did that, I was like, okay, no, you know, God says you're supposed to carry your cross. I get it, but I think I carried this one far enough and I'm trying. She's not. That's it. I'm done walking away. And it sucked because I was married into the business I was working for. So when I, when the marriage was no longer effective, neither was my employment. So that's why I got laid off so quick. I mean, you couldn't prove it in court, but that's basically what happened. Right. Right. It's just not being ready. It was not, it was not understanding. Like if I had started listening to Jordan Peterson when I was 18, it probably would have made a massive difference. Mm. But I didn't know any of this stuff. I had to learn it the hard way. And so a lot of, a lot of times when he says stuff about, okay, if you still have emotional reactions to things that happened in your past, you haven't dealt with it. And in my job, I drive all the time. I'm in sales. So I'm always on the road while listening to his stuff and me thinking over the past three years, okay, what really happened and how do I avoid that going forward? That's what really clarified a lot of it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when the divorce happened, did you felt like a bad Christian? Did you felt like you know, because um, uh, I have a couple of people who are that I talk to there, you know, with divorce, they felt like, you know, I, I'm supposed to stick to my marriage and I just can't do it anymore. I feel like a bad Christian. Did you feel like that? Did you? Well, in Christianity, the one reason that Jesus gives for as a valid reason for divorce is infidelity. Mm-hmm. And so when I stayed after the first four, I felt like I had not only met that bar, but exceeded it. And then when I talked to, you know, one of my best friends who's a pastor, I was like, look, this is what's going on. He said, you know, look, Jesus understands. He doesn't want you to be miserable for the rest of your life just to fulfill what everybody else around you might want to think about you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't so much the church I was worried about. It was about my family. But come to find out, my family this whole time had already noticed a lot of things that a lot of warning signs, but I wasn't going to listen to them because love makes you stupid. And so when I went and told them, they were like, oh my God, we're so glad. We're glad right. you finally came around to it. It's not the end of the world. You will recover from it. God doesn't right. love you any less. He saw that you, now, it's not like I was perfect in everything, right. but I gave effort. And if the other side's not giving effort anymore, that's mm. it. There's nothing yeah. left to say for it. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, um, and you were young too, right? Like, it's how old were you when you, you got married, and how old was she? I was 24. She was, no, wait. I was 23. She was 20. 
Mm. I think wow, we were that's two young. years apart. So yeah, that... and then when we got divorced, I was twenty eight, going on twenty nine, and she was twenty six. So, I mean, it's not like I'm saying don't get married early. All I'm saying is, like, mm-hmm. make sure you really think this through. And if there's any warning signs whatsoever, especially in Louisiana, because that whole divorce cost me a significant amount. It, it was $14,000 even that right. I had to pay to her because it was all community property. And basically to prove that anybody's yep. cheating on the other side, you have yeah. to have video of them doing it, which I didn't. But the funny thing was when I met Lauren, I got on Tinder and put the Tinder premium subscription in my ex-wife's credit card. <laughs> and so yeah. I ended up yeah. writing her a check for $14,010 and I wrote on the memo line for the best $10 I never spent because <laughs> I met Lauren off of that subscription. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the things that uh, Rob can pretty much if he wants to tell you, but he did a lot of stuff for that woman. And and like, I'm not saying um, if you're a feminist and you're listening to this and you're like, you know, and the patriarchy. No, no, no. He is, re- he did really sweet stuff for her. And you know, it's it's true. God, nice guys always finish last. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not telling you to be bad boys. Uh, we're not telling you to be disgusting or anything like that. But there's people like Rob who have higher standards um, in their mate. Um, and um, this and is one why thing I learned in oh, in all that was when Peterson talks about understanding the monster inside of you and taking control of that. Yeah. Like, there's hard parts to me. Like, there are tough parts. There are mean when it needs to be parts to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That before that experience, I had never really, not embraced, but understood how to control. And right. then once all that kind of happened, it, you know, the divorce went through and I was laid off and I was living with my mom again, you know, at yeah. 28 years old. It's kind of like, fuck it. What do I have to lose? I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be an asshole just to be an asshole, but I'm not going to get walked over anymore. I'm going to take a stand for the things that I feel need to be taken a stand for. Mm-hmm. And if people don't like me, well, it's not my job in life to make everybody happy. Right. I, that is a bar that I don't even want to come close to trying to lift because mm-hmm. it's, it's impossible and it sucks your soul away. When you do mm-hmm. everything for everybody else, and you take no time to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I started doing. And, you know, between 28 and 30, like it's actually gotten to the point where I had this massive crisis in those that two-year span. And now mm-hmm. everything's amazing. I've got a nice house, awesome wife, a great job. And I've got all these things that are going well, but I'm depressed. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out, like, why in the hell am I depressed? Everything's great. I've got, you know, we're about to start trying for a baby. I'm financially set, all this good stuff. And I figured it out a couple weeks ago. It's because there's no crisis. Mm. Like, when you live in crisis all the time, all you know is how to, like, survive for the next week. Mm. And then when you're happy, it's like the same thing we were talking about before we started with Christians getting complacent and just being dickheads basically because there is no crisis and now there is this nationwide crisis Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and they're coming out and doing what they were supposed to be doing all along feeding people taking care of the elderly all this good stuff same in your personal life if all you live through is crisis all the time and you get to this point where everything's fine and there is no crisis anymore if you haven't prepared yourself for that that's mm-hmm. going to kick you in your ass because you're going to be yeah. sitting around after work every day like okay i went and worked we cooked dinner had time with my wife why can't i go to sleep until midnight mm-hmm. why am i staying up tossing and turning well because mm-hmm. you're looking for something that's you've dealt with all your life but it's not there anymore mm. so it's like um where we just like you know dr peterson said about so right now we're we're it's not it's not that we have in our culture we're having too much chaos and he wanted to have order um i think what this crisis that's going on and we're talking about the coronavirus everybody's dealing with this right now um and to my italian listeners we are our prayers are to you um because you guys are getting hit the hardest um i think a lot of people what they need to kind of practice is gratefulness do you agree with that yeah i mean yeah yeah the the first thing like i i won't lie i make commissions all in my job i have potential for bonuses and all that i was looking forward to a good year but you know when my wife got laid off i know i can take care of her because my wife's a waitress and they yeah. shut down all the restaurants. Mm-hmm. When she got laid off, I knew I could take care of her. But my first thought was, what about the other 40 people who work there? They're not going to be mm-hmm. getting a paycheck. And it's not like they don't want to work. They can't. And, you know, it took me about three minutes to go, you know what? If I can just pay my bills this year, I am in a really, really, really good position. And I'm better off than a lot of people are right now. So in yeah. that spirit... I'm not bitching about that at all this year. If mm. my bills are paid for and I can help some other people along the way, it was a good year because mm. money is not the, it's exactly right. It's gratefulness for what you have, not for what you wish you could have gotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last year was an amazing year for me. I did great. And then when I quit, I told the CFO of the company to go fuck himself and walked out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and because they were haggling with money to me it wasn't Mm. about the money it was the principle of you want me to do more work for less money and i don't understand why i should do that just because y'all are the new kids on the block Mm. so watch this double middle fingers i'm out i already had this other job lined up though so it's not like I, i didn't have this plan but being grateful for the fact that my bills are paid, my lights are on, I have food on the table. And if the worst comes to worst, I live in a community of people that will watch out for each other and take care of each other. Yes, be grateful. Do not whine that you couldn't, you can't go to your concert. Mm-hmm. Don't want, because there's people dying out there and they're getting sick. And this mm-hmm. could get a whole lot worse. And I would much rather suffer some sharp initial pain right now then yeah. drag this out for six to eight months of hospitals being overflowed, like like what's happening in Italy right now. Yeah. Be grateful that if you're healthy and you're indoors and all you have to do is Netflix and chill, that's fine. Like Just right. deal with it. Exactly. Catch up on a fucking book. And uh, with me at the moment um, in California, we have 
cases every single day. Um, I'm beginning to kind of start coughing and shit like that. And I'm thinking about other people. So I have to stay inside, which is which is totally fine because I I could do podcasts and, you know, catch Rob and stuff because I know everybody's home. Now I'm hitting them. I go, hey, man, you want to <laughs> do a podcast? You know, and you know, the thing is, I bought I bought a Mortal Kombat mask. So if anybody want to get like down and dirty and they want to screw up, you know, <laughs> it's like you want to take your fucking coronavirus somewhere else. So I have to stay home and I have to make sacrifices. Well, and you know um, how bored I am right now. I have the <laughs> 2019 national championship game playing on my big screen TV in my office because there's no sports anywhere. <laughs> and so it's just, you know, and, and like uh, before we recorded this, Rob did bring up a good point about about um, Jesus Christ, about the woman giving donations. You want to tell people what you about you know sure. her giving the money that she has? Well, I, I was never good at memorizing exactly where it is, but I think it's in Mark. Um, I can't remember the chapter and the verse, but Google it. Everybody's got that. Um, yeah. There's a, a scene, there's a parable that Jesus is telling about the rich man who walks into the church and makes a big show about walking down to the front of the synagogue and dumping a bunch of money in the collection plate. And he makes sure everybody sees him doing it. Right. And then a, a little old lady who probably doesn't have a lot of money to give walks up and drops a five pence into the, into the collection plate. Right. And then Jesus says, I tell you this truly, this woman gave more than that man ever did. Right. It was the spirit that she gave it, you know, not how much she gave. And it, it and like Boone says something about how you know Christians for the most part in today's time do things to look morally in honesty, they're almost exactly like the left. You know, the, right. the far left social justice warriors, it's virtue signaling. I gave a lot of money or I donated this much time. Like I have a tradition in my household and it came from my parents that every year we give a certain amount of money to a needy family or to a group of needy families. And I'm not saying this to like blow myself up, but I think it's a good tradition that everybody should practice. If you have the means mm -hmm. to, we give a certain amount of money to buy toys and food for people in Christmas. But the only caveat is they can never know where the money came from. Right. You can never tell them, like, my name's not even on the check. I do it in a different way to where they won't know who it came from. And right. that because I'm more fulfilled from that, knowing that I did the right thing, than I am for a bunch of people looking at me and going, oh, you're such a great guy. You did, like, I, I give a shit. I don't care. You mm -hmm. know, because these people actually have challenges and I don't in my life. So if I'm blessed, it's my job to turn around and give blessings back in the way that Jesus did, like you said, without even getting thanks. Right. Doing something, taking care of some, doing the right thing without having acknowledgement of it. That's, that's responsibility. That's how mm -hmm. you're supposed to live your life. And that's one of Dr. Peterson's rules is to take responsibility and for, for your life. And, um, and Rob and I grew up totally different um, backgrounds and cultures, but yet we have this, this need for compassion um, and things like that. And, and if you compare Rob and I, I'm a woman of color and he's, he's, he's a white dude and to the social justice warriors, they feel like, oh, he's making more money than her. I'm like, Rob, we don't see it like that. 
I'm happy for like when Rob, um, he was the one who, who who told me about his um that he wanted to leave his last job, and I was kind of worried about him because of the fact that he has um you know bills and things like that. But I knew that Rob could take care of himself. And this guy's I don't know how much you're making a year, but who cares? I still love the guy, and I'm willing to kind of I'm willing to protect the guy just like everybody else because money to me is not the person's uh the person's individuality basically like just look at rob for rob and for his ideas i don't give a shit he's making like millions of dollars i have people on my friends list who are millionaires they are with the one percent and i'm a person i don't even make that much money podcasting or anything like that and i don't care i'm happy for everybody else and that is what christians teach that's supposed to be you know teaching well yeah from, each other right from my perspective it's about selflessness Right, correct. If you live selfishly, you'll get, you can make. I know the most miserable people in the world are the ones that have the most money, and yeah. some of the happiest people are the ones that like. When I go fishing down in in Cameron or somewhere south of here, and not I'm not going to even qualify the not being racist part, but you see the black family, they're right. crabbing on the pier, and you. Yeah you know that they're probably not in the top 1%, but they're mm-hmm. just cutting up, having a blast, chilling, hanging out. It's the same for white, because there's a lot of poor white families around here too, but they're down there on a Saturday morning, just hanging out, having fun. They are happier than the guy with $20 million in his bank account right now. And that's mm-hmm. more important than how many zeros you have in your bank account. And that's, I, I think one of the stories my dad told me was there was a bank in Lake Charles. It's called Calcasieu Marine. And at this point, they own pretty much 70% of Southwest Louisiana. Right. And the, the guy who owned it was Jack Lawton. And he was the kind of CEO of a bank that would come down to the... It's a big tower. It's the only big tower in Lake Charles. If you Google it, it's the big green tower. It's Capital One now. But for a long yeah. time, it was Calcasieu Marine. And he would come down and eat with the janitors. He would have lunch with him, talk to him, just hang out like a normal person because he knew he wasn't any better than them. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, in terms of value of a person, he wasn't any better than them. Right. He made some decisions and he made a lot of money, but he was also able to employ them where they wouldn't have been able to get a job anywhere else at that time. And so when dad was an assistant principal, he would do the same thing. He would go and he would bring a tray of snickerdoodles in the morning to the janitorial staff at the school. Right. And I always ask him, like, why do you do that? He's like, because there's two reasons. Number one, they're good people and I know they work hard and I'm their boss right. and I want to take care of them. Secondly, if I need a favor from them or need need help with something, they will show up to help me because they know I take care of them. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because I'm their boss. It's because they know... I looked out for them. I brought them gumbo. I brought them cookies. I brought them all this other stuff. And I think the term is called servant leadership. Mm. And I've, I've been around yeah. long enough. And that, and that's Jesus's leadership style is he served the people around him to make mm-hmm. sure when the time come that something had to be done, they trusted him enough to follow him because he had sacrificed. He had done things. He had taken care of them. And I saw it in the military. I've seen it in the private sector to an extent. 
the best leaders are the ones, not the ones that yell and scream and make a lot of money. It's the ones that will pay for, okay, oil and gas has crashed back in 2014. And I watched my operations manager, who was my boss at the time, pay out of his pocket to feed the 30 guys in the shop that he knew their hours were cut and they weren't making as much money. He would take mm -hmm. care of their lunch two or three days a week. Yeah. And those people and me to this day, I would bleed for that guy because mm -hmm. I know he cares about me. Mm -hmm. That's true. And this is why, you know, to me, good leaders always eat last. That's how I live my life. And I can never, you know what, just like, you know, going back to Peterson, I feel like in our, t in, in today's society, we are are encouraging incompetence if, if that makes sense so here in california we have a multi-billion dollar company uh called pg e they're pacific gas and electric you pretty you, you pretty know you, i'm, pretty oh, sure you know I'm who they very are. familiar with <laughs> so they're very corrupt and uh they're not taking responsibility for their actions that with the wildfires that caused a lot of death back in 2018 and to me i I'm like Rob. We are the type of leaders who will do everything and on top of that with nothing in asking nothing back in return. Why are we like that? It's because we were raised like that. And so I saw like the socialists and I'm going to talk about shit about the socialists. They it's it's when it they they came to the realization that being a good person is a lot of work. And so they get upset. And what happens? people die in the process right so what happened with you know under the, the un, under communism what happened to the people who at the bottom they get executed right you how dare you question me type of attitude and and it happens over and over and over again and and people are not taking you know they're not they're not looking at history and being a good person requires a lot of energy a lot a lot of time and energy and um well that's and, something that peterson yeah. talks about too because yeah. he is the way he is i am the way i am and you are the way you are because you understand history right you understand the horrible death to which humans can stoop to especially in times of crisis and especially right. when they're given power because the biggest lie out there is that if you give this really good person a lot of power he'll take care of everything no, yeah. that's kind of why I like Trump, because he's yeah. a dick. He, <laughs> I, like, he was, I didn't vote for him in 2016 yeah. either. I voted for Evan McMullen, but I will yeah. vote for him in 2020 because I've seen how far the other side went. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's doing that terrible of a job. And right. look, sometimes when it comes to government stuff, the best you can hope for is mediocrity. If, that, yeah. if that's what you get, like... At least it's not the Holocaust or, you know, the, yeah. you know, the imprisonment of millions and, and the massacres under the communist regimes, just right. mediocrity and nothing changes. Let's keep it at that. I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. And, and you have to remember to be a good boss as well. You have to be a dick. Sometimes, right. You, have, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you remember when the Sermon on the Mount? To me, that was Jesus talking shit back. Y'all motherfuckers need to listen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> none of that is stuff that was designed to tickle anybody's ears. The Sermon right. on the Mount's a harsh message. And, <laughs> okay, so what do we do with the guy who gives us a harsh message because it's true and it's accurate and he was doing it out of love because he was doing it for the right reasons? We crucify him. 
See, right. like in terms of comedy, like like a, a cosmic comedy, that is a that we were going to talk about religion. That's why. That's why mm-hmm. I'm a Christian because the guy who says the right things out of the right pure motivations ends up getting crucified. Right. And I'm like, there is nothing more accurate on this planet than that story right there. What do you think? Why do you think that is? Why do you think doing the right thing always gets us crucified? What's your theory on that? Well, I mean, in terms of... I, God help me, but we'll go to the Avengers. Like, the, yeah. the uh, end game. Stark doesn't want to give up his family, the new peace he found, even though half the world has died or been disappeared and burned to the ground. But he snaps the gauntlet anyway because he knows it's the right thing to do and he knows what the consequences are. Well, in the, in the worst times of human history, there have always been those people. That's mm-hmm. the story that's being told throughout human history. And that's the story embodied in Jesus Christ. I'm going mm-hmm. to tell you what the right thing to do is, even though your laws, your religion, your government want you to do these things. I will die to make sure you at least know the right thing to do. If you don't do it, it's on you. Mm -hmm. But you can't say nobody ever told you what the right thing to do was. And look, I was an atheist in college. I was was raised Southern Baptist. Uh, When I got into college, I said, screw this. This isn't really fun anymore. I'm going to go do my thing and drink all the time, try to get laid, never happened because I was still a nice guy, but you know, yeah. one thing leads to another. And then one night I had a series of dreams. I was editing the newspaper at, at my college at the time. I was the editor-in-chief of the McNeese State University newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so I worked these really weird hours. I would have to, Thursday night, I would work from six o'clock in the evening until five o'clock Friday morning to get everything out to press in time. And then I'd go home and sleep because I didn't have classes on Friday. Right. And I had a series of weird dreams that I was like, okay, there cannot be any other reason for this than God himself is putting this stuff in my head. Like there was one dream where something was trying to get into an operating room and I was standing on the other side of the door trying to push against it to keep it from coming in. And then it finally overpowered me, came in, and was on top of me, choking me, and I woke up. And then I looked, and I had finger marks around my neck. I wow. Like, now, I, the rational explanation is I had sleep paralysis, and I was choking myself in my dream mm-hmm. for reasons that, I don't know, it's sleep paralysis. There's no explanation. But that was some supernatural stuff. Like There can be supernatural things that happen that you can't give a natural explanation for. Mm-hmm. Or you can give a natural explanation for it, but the purpose of that happening doesn't negate the importance of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one thing. And eventually, you know, I really started to examine my atheism and it kind of fell apart pretty quick. Like, okay, could you go rape a chick and kill her and bury her in a dumpster? Could you do mm-hmm. that? No. Why? Because it's wrong. Says who? Society. Are you sure? Not really, because even if society didn't say it was wrong, I would still know it was wrong. Right. Okay, well, where did that come from? Uh, 
there is a, as Peterson put it, a supreme moral truth. Okay, well, where did it come from? And look, I don't claim that I know everything about that there is a God and he's an old dude with white hair up in the sky and a beard and all that. Like, I don't uh-huh. claim to know that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and went and performed miracles. I have faith in it just because mm-hmm. the whole story makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we killed the one guy who was telling us all the truth for the right reasons. Right. How does that mesh with reality? Well, mm-hmm. it doesn't. I mean, it does to a certain extent because we understand human nature, but every part there's a part in every one of us that yearns for something beyond our human nature. It's why we explore it in every other avenue except religion these days. Okay, so if the guy came and said all these things and he was right and he died and it didn't make any sense that he was executed for that, well, why would it make any less sense that he would be like, nah, fuck death, I'm coming back and I'm going to show you all that you can't kill what I've said mm-hmm. just because you didn't like it and you thought you had an easy way to silence it doesn't mean it's going away anytime soon. So there's my religious aspect. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, um, this is why I, I respect uh, the, the the Bible, because I don't see it as the other people do it. Look, the, to the listeners who are atheists, because I do have podcasting friends who are like that, I understand the sacrifice, and I understand the uh, the part where the woman was murdered, and she was cut into 12 pieces for the 12 tribes. I get that. Um, but to me, it's like there's the metaphor to it. The the um, if you if you look at Christians and what they have done, so I have respect for Christians for this reason. Um, during the Khmer Rouge, when they took over, a Christian was one who reported what was going on, and nobody was listening to him, and his reputation got crucified. And this is where we go back to me and Rob was talking about earlier. We don't know why the people who are speaking the truth get crucified. And it's so interesting uh, that this is happening constantly. Good people are just always getting stomped on constantly. And do you think there's going to be like a change in the future about that? Or do you think we should be just live the way we are? Do we need to say something about it? Do we? No, I think there's a change coming pretty quickly because even atheists at this point are saying, okay, there is a lot, you know, honest atheists who really want to have a good conversation about it are like, there's a lot about this that is true. There's some stuff that we don't like, but a lot of how we built our society is accurate and it's working. Like the whole, 
I mean, it was Jefferson who said that the Constitution is only written for a moral people. Uh-huh. Well, he was he said that during a time when the vast majority of everybody in the in the nation was Christian and practicing Christian ideals, take care of your neighbor, you know, mm-hmm. love each other. And yeah, there were wars and all this stuff, but when they wrote the Constitution, he had that in mind. Well, that's what's going on now. A lot of atheists are looking and going, um, yeah, maybe we shouldn't blow out the bedrock of society without having something to replace it. And then the problem is there's nothing that they have that can replace it. Right. They can't come up with anything that says, okay, yeah, um, instead of the Judeo-Christian tradition, we're going to supplement this instead. They don't talk about, you know, and I guess Sam Harris talks about, uh, what is it, moral, I forget. I, I've heard him talk before. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, like, right. you're pulling stuff out of something that's subjective to everybody and can mm-hmm. at any point in time be subjective in the future. So how do you make this concrete, something that people can live out on their in their daily lives and they don't have an answer for that. And, and I guess Sam's got his answers, but you'd have to get everybody to buy into it. But why don't fix what ain't broken, I guess. And the more, the more we go through, the more we progress into the future, Christianity has resolved itself several times. In, in the past couple hundred years. I mean, the fact that most gay, uh, most Christians would look at gay people and say, all right, look, I don't agree, but I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. At least most of the Christians I know, you know, 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been a thing. It right. would have it just been, no, you know, you're gay, you're going to hell, this is what the Bible says, all this other stuff. Now, at least from my perspective, it's like, I don't know, it might be a sin, but a lot of things are sins. So yeah, I, I don't have any... I'm not Jesus. I don't get to judge you. Love you. I don't necessarily want you teaching my child that this is what should be happening. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not going to burn you or throw you off a building or anything. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and to the listeners, uh, the Muslim does that. All right, Muslim countries do that. I'm not saying all Muslim does it, but the racist. hardcore <laughs> go. That's racist. Racist. <laughs> but it's it's just that. Um, we, it's, it's, I wasn't raised Christian, um, but I, I, I've come to respect Christian, Christianity. Um, and I was raised Buddha, Buddhist. So I pretty much, this is why a lot of the Christians and the Buddhists kind of understand each other because we understand the, the concept of suffering. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we know about this idea of self-sacrifice. And of course, a lot of people is going to bring the argument about the corrupt institutions. We, we, we understand that, that as well. Like, you know, like the Catholicism with the Vatican, you know, covering up, you know, rape and stuff like that. That's not right. We know that's not right. Um, And uh, people use religion as a weapon. Um, And Rob and I don't agree with that at all. We don't. It's, we, we, it's kind of funny to say that. The church has absolutely nothing to do with, with what Jesus said. Yeah. I mean, the church is a human institution. Correct. Um, and Jesus said, go form this human institution because this is the closest you're going to get. Like, you're not going to get a heaven-like atmosphere on earth. But, 
like for me, when I'm in church and I'm around people and we're, we're aimed towards the same point. Okay. That's not something that happens normally. That is a, that is unique for the most part, I guess in the military, it was kind of like that too, but you have a bunch of people aimed towards the same goal. And Jesus was basically saying, look, this is close. You're going to get to it. You have to do this to make sure that we can progress these ideas forward. And I, I don't know. I, if Jesus had met a gay person, how would Jesus have reacted to the gay person? And that was one of the first things that I asked myself, like, you know, cause I was raised traditional Southern Baptist. I was hardcore gays are going to hell, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never once remember Jesus anywhere in the Bible saying anything remotely close to that. Mm-hmm. But the pastor yeah. says it every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, what does, what does he have to do with what Jesus is saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess yeah. it's different for Catholics because the Pope is the voice of God. But for me mm-hmm. as a Protestant, it's like, no, you have to read and interpret on your own within the context of what is written to come to your own conclusion and make sure it lines up with the rest of the Bible on this subject. Mm. In the new Testament, it's love people, no matter who they are, what they look like, what they smell like, anything like that, Mm. love people, take care of them and be me to them. That's a pretty simple command to follow. We saw how he treated sinners in the entire Mm -hmm. new Testament because at some point, we all we, we are all sinners. Mm-hmm. So when he says that, it's a conviction to me. Like, hey, you don't get to pass judgment on anybody. You're a sorry sack of shit, too. Mm-hmm. You've got your own yeah. things. So keep your mouth shut. Love mm-hmm. people. Speak the truth in love. Like, if I had a gay friend who was banging everything within 100 miles of me right now, I would say, hey, look, love you. I really care about you. You probably shouldn't do that because here's what can happen to you and mm. list all the things that could happen. It's not because I hate him because he's gay. It's because I love him and I'd rather him not die of the hiv some mm. point in the future. Well, that's bigotry and hate speech now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just no personal responsibility. And and like I said, it's just like with me, there, there, there are things that I have done that I regret when I was younger. Um, and it's I didn't, club. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, um, uh, if I had a kind of structure in my life, you know, just like you were talking about earlier, where you couldn't sleep, and you know, there was a, was a crisis to kind of put things in perspective. With me, um, it's more like structure because I'm a chaotic person. Um, I, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just naturally creative in things. I'm. Uh, I'm not saying I'm fucking Picasso or anything like that, but I'm, that's my mindset. I, I, my left brain is pretty much my dominant brain, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this is what Christianity does, and, and any religion, uh, it does. It gives structure in an individual's life, and and, and Peterson did not necessarily say as particularly Christianity as you know what you chose, but he was saying to put structure in your life, just like what religion. Uh, does and we know and of course this is it goes back to pretty much my atheist friends they're going to say well it causes people to do corrupt things as well and we see that so we don't have an antidote for that uh but 
you know, just like Jesus Christ said that, you know, we, we practice our, our beliefs well, in, in go ahead. So, so does an iPhone. So does a bank. Yeah. So does a vehicle. So does a nightclub. Like there's a bunch of things that cause you to do corrupt things. Right. Like if there's a nightclub or like around here, we've got bars and stuff where we go drink and eat crawfish yeah. and listen to country music. Is yeah. there anything wrong with that? Is there anything corrupting about it? Not to us, because that's just what we do. Yeah. You know, we hang out. But could you take that same atmosphere, I guess, and you bring it to a place where... And look, I live around a bunch of people who are very, very deeply religious. And uh, so for me, growing up Baptist, alcohol was a no-no. But yeah. for the Catholics, it's a different thing. Like, yeah, we yeah. can go get shit hammered and listen to country music all night and hang out and dance and it's cool there's nothing wrong with it mm -hmm. well you take the same atmosphere and apply it to a non-moral people there's a lot of bad shit that's going to end up happening there <laughs> yeah and this this happened with um you remember uh Nietzsche? god is dead and we okay. killed him that's pretty much what happened. And what, what happened during the 20th century? Communism arised. And communism, and I don't, I, you probably agree with me, it's, it became like its own religion of some sort, like Marxism. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it kind of like mutated into this religious institution, you know, like, I, of course, you and I, we, we come across Marxists online. And, and, and we're not going to like generalize all of them as the same. But when you say something about Karl Marx or anything like that, boom, they get offended, man. And and to me, intersectionality became its own religion, its own. You know, you can't even like if you're a white dude, you're done. You're like the fucking devil and shit. You know, it's just. Yeah, I had an atheist friend try to tell me one time that communism um, was not atheist because it just disavowed all religions and all supreme beings. And I shut him down with one sentence. Yes, it did all that. And it substituted the state instead. Exactly. Like fascism. He, 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 right? exactly. he was like, well, what do you mean the state? I was like, okay, so you can't pray to God. You can't pray to Buddha. You can't pray to uh, Krishna or any of, these, uh, any of the other deities. But you can pray to the state. He's like, how do they oh. pray to the state? I was like, well, because if you say anything, the KGB is listening <laughs> and they will hear that and they will either rain wrath or blessings down upon you. So, yeah, Yikes. it was a religion. <laughs> it was absolutely was. It just, bingo. You it nailed it. The state for God. And, and this argument has been made many times how they substitute the state for God was like, okay. In the Old Testament, if you did anything against Israel, God rained his wrath down upon you. How right. is that any difference any different than being in Vietnam, Cambodia, China, Russia, and saying something against the state and you being dragged in front of a pole and shot? Exactly. Thank you. My point exactly. They and, were not and, and, atheists. They were yeah. very much deists. Their deity was yeah. just something that they created. Oh, just like, you know, in the beginning of the book of, I think it's like the book of Genesis. You remember when they, 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 they worship the, the cow? Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what it is. Now it's humans. And in China, and me and Rob, we hate, we hate communist China. We don't hate Chinese people. We nope. just hate the CCP. So yeah. <laughs> they, they were, they, uh, in, 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 um, in Buddha temples, they remove Buddha out from the temples and they put 
Xi Jinping instead to worship. And same thing with North Korea. It's the same shit over and, and over again. And they're in Cambodia. Who did they worship? They worship Angkor. All right. So yep. it's the same shit. You guys are just replacing it with a different god. Yep. <laughs> so, and you're, you know, you're substituting a god of the metaphysical with a little g god of a human. Exactly. And, and, that, and humans, go ahead. It's not going to end well. It, it never has ended well, but we seem bent on repeating history. And look, I don't think Bernie Sanders thinks he's a little G God. I think he's yeah. a misguided old man who likes to eat pudding while sitting in a corner <laughs> and coming up with ways to solve the world's problems with this unlimited bucket of money he's got somewhere. <laughs> and it's like, do I think he's evil? No. Do I think his ideology is evil? Absolutely. Can stupid people be suckered into serving an evil ideology? Well, there's a bunch of people in Germany you could ask about that. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So it's, we we did it today. And it's as you guys can hear, Rob is, he can go on for hours. And especially when he's drunk. So I'm going to catch him when he's drunk. That's that's the Rob that I want to talk to. <laughs> so, Hurry um, up. All the whiskey's <laughs> running out. <laughs> so... But before we go and end this little series, and I had an awesome conversation, especially about you know God and the Bible and things like that, which I am interested as well. What wisdom that you can summarize in your, your, your life on this earth, Rob, that you have learned along the way that you would like to share with other people? The older you get, the more you realize that you don't know anything and no adult knows anything. There is a certain joy to be had in that, to realize that you don't know how to do everything on the planet. You don't know how to fix everything. There's ways I don't know how to saltwater fish yet that I would love to learn. And when you embrace the idea that there is, at 31 years old, hopefully I'm not even close to half my lifespan, but at 31 years old, I still have things to learn. That is really fun. You can add a bunch of things to your arsenal of knowledge. You don't have to be an expert in everything, but you can know a little bit about everything. And that's mm -hmm. that's one of the joys in life is learning stuff that you didn't know before. So be open. Be honest with yourself. Don't be prideful. Don't be a braggart. Be humble. Sit back and learn from everybody around you. And drink a lot of whiskey and eat butt. Yay! <laughs> I'm going to do both today. <laughs> You're going, I'm going to do both today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yep. All right. I'm going to go have quarantine sex. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. And if you want to get in touch with Rob, his, I'm going to pretty much link his little description if you want to talk about God with him. He is going to be a frequent visitor on my podcast. And so we're going to be, get into more details about God because it gets really interesting about, you know, we talk about the metaphysics and things like that. So thanks, guys. As always, stay far out. Bye.